This is Why We Plan, a podcast for business owners and their advisors about how to better plan for the exit from a business. Join us each episode as we discuss different elements of exit planning, including real life stories, challenges, and opportunities of owners and their advisors. Welcome to this edition of Why We Plan. My name is John Brown. I am the founder of BEI, which is an organization for advisors who want to engage in exit planning for their clients. Uh, with me today is David Blausfern. Probably the only time you'll hear the name David Blausfern ever mentioned because he and I were just talking about that unique last name. And since my <laughs> last name is Brown, which is probably the most common last name, it's a good meeting of the minds. So welcome, David. Thank you for having me. So tell us what you do. So I work uh, at CSG Partners. We are an investment bank that specializes in ESOP transactions. We're headquartered out of New York City. I'm headquartered out of Boston. We have folks sprinkled throughout the US and we work on ESOP transactions all the way from Hawaii to New York every year. We're closing anywhere from 25 to 35 ESOP transactions wow. a year. Yeah, and. Wow. For those folks who don't know, um, ESOP, which is short for an employee stock ownership plan, is it's a retirement benefit for all of your employees, and it's a free benefit for all of your employees. And I'm sure one of the things we'll get into in a little bit is that it's another tool that I think all advisors should have in their pocket when they're thinking about with their clients, what are their options for folks that own privately held businesses within the U.S., um, when they're thinking about succession planning or selling their business or getting equity into the hands of their management team or the next generation. Well, that's a very concise explanation. So the how many ESOPs a year are, would you say are created in this country? I believe it's around two to 300 a year. Um, it is definitely a niche part of the investment banking world. Um, you may say it's complex. We like to simplify it. I always joke the complexities are actually what I love about ESOPs. Because sometimes when you think about other third party sales, whether it's a PE sale or a sale to a strategic buyer, the guardrails of that transaction are sometimes set in stone with very little flexibility. And in the ESOP world, there's 100 different ways that you can structure an ESOP transaction. You can do a minority sale, you can do a majority sale, you can sell the equity to your management team or get synthetic equity into the hands of your management team. And you don't have to do everything at once. Right. And you can really create those guardrails to determine your destiny, the legacy of your company, which for many folks is their baby. They've built it from the ground up. Mm -hmm. And when you look at other options, the, the thought of, we have a lot of clients, whether it's multi-generational or they started it by themselves. One of my favorite stories is for a construction company out of Florida where the owner uh, years ago took on debt on his credit card to buy a pickup truck. And that is how he started his construction business that he built into a multi, multi-million dollar company, and it's his baby, and he cares a lot about it. 
and he didn't want some third party to come in there and really tell him how to change his day-to-day -day operations. And one of the great things with an ESEP is that nobody's coming in there to tell you how to run your business. Everything stays the same. The management team stays the same. Nobody's telling you who you need to hire and fire. There's not going to be layoffs because the transaction took place. And it's, uh, it's, it's very powerful for the culture of the business. And it's a great way to incentivize not only your current employee base, but to incentivize folks that you're trying to recruit into your business. Because an ESAP is a free benefit to all employees. Right, right. So, if, so those of you who have been following this pod podcast over the years, you uh, understand that the first thing we do in Exaplan, when we begin an Exaplan, is to understand the owner's goals and objectives. You know, when do I want to leave? Who do I want to transfer the business to? How much money do I need? But there are other goals and aspirations at all, as, as well that our members uh, ask their clients. And they would include things like, uh, I want to preserve the culture of my company. I want to benefit my employees. I want to maintain the legacy of the business. I want to keep the business in the community. Those are all we call aspirational goals or values-based goals. And those goals, for the most part, in my experience, are best achieved by an ESOP. Because you sell to a third party, you don't know where that business is going to end up. You don't even think that the legacy and the culture of the original owners are going to be maintained. It's going to change. So in my mind, uh, that's another benefit of an ESOP that I don't think is available and not with other exit paths, at least not to that extent. Uh, so there's a lot of advantages to ESOPs. David's mentioned most of them already, and there's tax advantages and so on that we the, probably don't even need to get into unless you want to. But also then, there's two to 300 ESOPs created a year. Why so few when the benefits are so great? Absolutely. I think it comes down to education. I think it comes down to many folks don't know that ESOPs are an option out there. We touched on all of the qualitative benefits mm -hmm. of doing an ESOP transaction. And to your point just now, the quantitative benefits are fantastic as well. Um, from the owner's perspective, when you sell your equity to an ESOP, you do have the ability, as long as you're selling at least 30% as a C-Corp, you can sell anywhere from 30 to 100% of your business to an ESOP, you do have the ability to defer and ultimately eliminate your capital gains tax that is due upon the sale. So if you have a PE offer from a, a third party for $100 million, you may only net $65, $70 million after taxes. If you sell your business to an ESAP for $100 million, because an ESAP can pay fair market value, which is what a financial buyer can pay for your business, mm -hmm. you can net $100 million after taxes. The other great benefit from the company's standpoint you can become 100% tax-free at the corporate level from all federal and most state income taxes. I say most because, mm -hmm. for example, if your business is out of California, you can't escape the 1.5% franchise tax. But for, for the most part, you can become 100% tax-free at the corporate level. Very powerful for the corporation to be able to delever the original transaction debt, build up the equity over time, Sometimes we have clients that become very acquisitive years down the line because they're building up all of this pre-tax cash on their balance and sheet. And they've got to use it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So 
why don't more owners pursue this path? Some of it's lack of education. Uh, some of it is a feeling that it's too complex. I, th I think education is the biggest part of it. Most folks do not know that ESEPs are an option out there. Now, another reason may be that an ESEP is not a good fit for everyone. In order to do an ESAP transaction, you have a trustee who is going to represent all of your employees. Now, if we have a business owner who comes to us and says, I want to consider doing an ESAP transaction, but we know that that business craters if that owner leaves because he or she hasn't built up a management team that can continue to run the business once they do depart, that's not a good fit because there is an ongoing concern that the company will continue to perform based on its projections and based on what they've done historically. And if those sort of factors aren't in place, it's not a good fit. So if you have a, an offer from a third party, that's probably a better path for you. Right, right. Now, when we work on ESEP transactions, <clears throat> we like to say that 3 million of adjusted EBITDA is probably the bare minimum that you should have if you're going to consider doing a leveraged ESAP transaction. There are complexities, right? You're going to have debt on the company's balance sheet. You're going to need your CFO to help manage, or whoever on the HR side, to help manage the ESAP on an ongoing basis. And if you don't have that infrastructure in place, it may not be a good fit. Three million is usually when we see that clients have built out that infrastructure. So that's roughly a $15 million value, give or take a couple million. Absolutely, I would say give or take at a minimum, we're talking $15 million of sale value to upwards of we work on deals that could be a billion, two billion in value. Is it possible to get financing for all of that or not? It's possible, but what I will say is on average, whether you're selling a minority portion of your business or a majority portion, we are usually raising anywhere from 50 to 70% of the transaction value as cash at closing to the owners on a non-recourse basis. Now, it's important to understand that non-recourse aspect. That means that there is no personal guarantee on the debt. The whole, one of the main ideas, right, is that you want to de-risk your net worth outside of your business. On average, Privately held businesses make up 80% of an owner's net worth, right. and we want to de-risk. So any cash at close, you don't want to have a personal guarantee associated with that. So in a $100 million sale example, if we're able to raise $60 million of cash at close, what happens to the other $40 million that I didn't receive? That goes on the company's balance sheet as an IOU to the seller in the form of a seller note and usually, because of the tax efficiency at the corporate level, that seller note's able to be paid down over a three to five year time horizon. Because they're paying no taxes if you convert to an S. Absolutely. Right. Interesting. So, education is a barrier. I'm assuming your company provides a lot of education. Because otherwise, you're not going to be doing 30 ESOP deals a year. <laughs> Absolutely. Education is anywhere from 50 to 70% of what we do on a daily basis. Wow. Um, if you visit our website, csgpartners.com, you'll see on the top right, we have a resource section. We have everything from introductory materials on ESOPs to industry-specific materials on ESOPs. I bring that up because some industries have different benefits of doing an ESOP transaction versus others. For example, in the GovCon space, 
depending on what type of contract base you have, there's ways to enhance your cash flow that, for example, a construction firm may not be applicable to because it's not a government contractor. But each industry has unique, unique aspects of why NISA may be a good fit as well. So we have, on our website, we have webinars, we have podcasts similar to this, we have weekly newsletters. And by all means, if you have questions, always feel free to reach out to us. Excellent. That's excellent. One last question. Um, so an owner wants to do an ESOP, but they don't have $3 million of EBITDA. Maybe it's a million and a half or $2 million. Uh, is an ES can an ESOP be feasible for that size business? Maybe they only want to sell 30 or 40%. It can. I would say it may not make sense to do an, a leveraged ESOP mm -hmm. transaction, but it, you can certainly do uh, contributory ESOP plans, which work a little bit differently. We don't do those, but we certainly, if you're at that level of income, mm -hmm. we certainly have partners that do work on those sort of plans, and we'd be more than happy to put you in touch with those folks. When we run an ESOP transaction, we view a transaction in two phases. Phase one, which is understanding um, all aspects of what an ESOP can look like for the seller, the company, the employees, and the management team. We charge $10,000, whether your company is worth $15 million or a billion dollars. And from that feasibility study, we will, as you said, step number one, what are your objectives? Based on those objectives, we're going to recommend at least two ESOP structures that work well for those objectives. We're going to look at any corporate restructuring that may need to take place. We're going to conduct evaluation of your business. We're going to show you how much capital we can raise from the marketplace on a non-recourse basis. And we're going to show you what the after-tax cash flows look like from the seller's perspective, the company's perspective, for the management team, and for the employees as well. And then if you decide to move forward, we're transaction-driven. I'd say on average, anywhere from 85 to 90% of our fees are paid the day that an ESOP closes, mm -hmm. and the financing is in the pockets of the owners. And the fees are comparable to any other M&A transaction. It's no different. Okay. I mean, that's, this is all great information. Any final thoughts you have? This is very, in a short time period, it's been very comprehensive. We, we can talk that. about ESOPs for hours. That's what you said at the very beginning. And I would love to do so, but what, I, what I'll leave we you with is... We would not have a lot of podcast listeners, though, if we did that. Oh, I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I would get bored myself, maybe. Um, but if you have questions, if you have a certain situation or a certain industry that you have a client in definitely reach out to us. Visit our website, csgpartners.com. We'd be more than happy to speak with you. That's great. Thanks. Thanks much, David. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. If you'd like more information on better ways to plan for the future, please visit exitplanning.com.